Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 855-950-3835. It is Tuesday, July 5th. It's time for another episode of the Power Hour. We'll be joined by the team from Pittsburgh Power today, Bruce and Leroy and Pete. And of course, we'll get to your calls and questions. We're going to open those phone lines right now. So jump in and dial. If you have a maintenance related question, a comment, a topic, anything you want to talk about, 855-950-3835. We'll be doing uh, at least an hour today or until we run out of calls. We will not be doing the pit today. I'm going to take a week off from that show. Uh, so line up your calls now for the team for Pittsburgh Power, and we'll get to your calls here in just a couple minutes. Uh, Bruce, looks like you're first up on the board this week. Welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. What's on your mind this week? Well, you know, I'm People that don't listen to the radio show and don't read the articles, don't go into our website, somehow they call me about regearing their truck. And then I start from zero and we talk for a half hour, 45 minutes. Then they go and they talk to their buddies. Oh, you can't put 264 gears in there. You can't do 247, 228. And it's happened this morning after last Thursday on a long dissertation and um, if the guy doesn't listen to the show or read the articles or spend any time on our website and it gets very frustrating. So I told him, I said, well, you can listen to your buddies who think they're very successful or you can listen to someone that's been doing it for 45 years. So we'll go from there. Then I get more phone calls. The guy went Bought a big cam 350, wants to make it a 450, but doesn't want to take the time to pull the camshaft out and change the cam key, but he does want to rebuild it. So that's good. But I'm trying to explain to these people, you know, the timing is the critical part that keeps the engine alive, especially on a big cam with aluminum pistons. You can't expect to go 450 and 550 on 350 timing. It doesn't work. So I have this guy, 65 years old, by the way, and again, not a listener of the show and hasn't read the articles, just heard about us on our big camps. So I have him today. He's off. He's not trucking. He drives a Michigan uh, train. The Michigan train, is that what I want to call it? Where you're pulling, it's a, it's a dump truck that pulls a pup trailer. So anyway, I have him going back and he may be even be listening right now. I gave him the number to call in and I beg people to watch the videos. Look at our videos. They're very educational. And another friend of mine who I talk about a lot on this show, he's leased to a company and I know them well. They've been to our snowmobile conference. They have 100 company trucks, Freightliners and Bulbuls. And they have three to five down every week with emission problems. They know about the max mileage fuel-borne catalyst, 
and they hold tight to the fact that they cannot teach their drivers how to put one ounce into every 25-gallon of fuel that he's buying. Now, I'm sorry, but if your drivers are that stupid, they really shouldn't be driving a truck. Bruce, I'm surprised they can get it in the right gear. If you look back, you know, when we were going through the emissions and you look at how radical international tried to get without going to deaf, they doubled Mm -hmm. down on EGR. They were bringing like 50 or 60% EGR back into the engine. And there was only one reason they took that path. And they talked about it a lot back then. They, they were clear on why they were trying what they were trying. And there was only one reason. They thought if they could come up with a solution that was different than using DEF, because now the driver has to do something. The driver has to put the DEF in the truck. They went down that path for that reason alone, just so they could get around the fact that the driver would have to do one more thing. Is that right? That, that's how we think in this industry. They, they, the fleets are so afraid of drivers not, not being able to find them. They don't want to ask the driver to do one more thing. They don't want to give the driver a chance to screw something like this up. So International was willing, and it failed horribly, but that was their goal. They thought they could build a solution that wouldn't require the driver to do anything. I mean, I, I just can't believe that you can't train people like that. I, I mean, we take kids right out of high school, right out of boat tech school, and we train them to be diesel engine mechanics. Yeah, it's not that we can't that, and that they can't do it. Of course they can. It's just, like I said, we that whole driver shortage, you know, term that we've heard for 30 years just freaks these fleets out. It, it, that's why we don't even attempt mm-hmm to work with fleets for fuel economy or any of these things, because all they think about is, well, what about the driver? What about the driver? Maybe you should just pay your drivers a little more so you don't have to worry about them, you know, jumping ship every time you want to do something different. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, You know, we used to, the majority of our phone calls before the Max Mallard's catalyst was emissions. And now that most everybody that listens to this show is running the Catalyst, um, we get very few emission calls. And usually it'll be uh, a sensor. Or at what part should I clean the ash out of the DPF? Or I had my DPF checked and there's only 7% ash. And uh, they were thrilled. They just had to call and tell us that, which is fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, and the, the truck dealerships want to continue to have 80% of their work be emissions, so, so be it. But wow, when there's a cure and you don't do the cure. Well, yeah, you have, to, you have to know about it. And you have to trust that it works. And, you know, what you started with, Bruce, I deal with on almost every topic we cover on the show, whether it's fuel mileage or maintenance or health or taxes or the problem is with there's a good side to this. One of the things we've been really successful on is because we're on the air every day and we talk about this stuff every day, after a while, people just 
know it. They just get it. You don't have to explain it all the time. But when you get somebody new and you've got to explain this stuff and they look at you like, I've never heard that. My friend says this. My doctor says that. It, it's so hard to deal with somebody new. I would really rather they just listen to the show for a month first. Just listen to the show for a month yeah. first, and then it'll be much easier. And uh, those that are new, just go on our website. Read some of the articles and watch the videos. Educate yourself. Yeah, well, and that's the other the other thing we love about our new app, which is out now. Everybody can use our app to listen, and all of our shows are recorded, and they're all available forever. So if somebody comes in today and they're, they're brand new, they can go back and listen to all the shows leading up to this and get up to speed really quickly. I did hear some people say they got it and they love it. It's, it's, hey, I have seven gallons of the mileage improver left. If uh, some guys want to try it, it's uh, $160 a gallon. So we have 14 of them out right now. By next week, we should have some um, fuel mileage, hopefully fuel mileage improvement stories. Interesting. I'm going to look forward to it. Um, yeah. hmm. All right. What else you got? Okay. That's it for me. That's it. All right. So uh, let's bring in, I'm assuming it's going to be Pete and Leroy on this line. Good morning, guys. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good. Good. uh, So, Pete, I know you've got some things for us this morning. So let's, uh, let's start with Leroy. Leroy, what's on your mind today? Um, not too much. It's been sort of uninteresting, but we did have one thing. Uh, we, I finally got to see one of these new aftermarket one boxes. Um, I don't know. Have you seen these or no? I have not. So there's a company, I don't know where they're from. Uh, I want to say Germany or something. When I looked up the website, Dynex and they make an aftermarket one box and it is actually different. I found their patent and the airflow through the box is different than the standard one box you get from Detroit. So I guess one special feature is that it has a dual pass def decomposition tube, which just means where the def is sprayed into it. There's usually just like a, a two foot span that the def has to has time to break down and evaporates and then it reacts to the SCR. Well, this one, it goes like that two foot length then makes a 180 and goes back the other two feet. So it's like making the decomp tube twice as long. So they, they say in the patent that that makes for better atomization of the def and you get more out of it, um, that you, you use less def, things like that. I'm wanting to see how it actually reacts in the wor- real world. Uh, but that was sort of interesting. They, they made more turns. It has four 180s inside the box versus the Stock one box has only two 180s. Hmm. So I don't know if that's back pressure on the system or how performance-wise that uh, affects it. Um, the other thing was it's only one SDR is shielded. So when you have a one box, all the filters are together to stay warm because they work better when they're warm, right? Right. Well, they have one SDR that's outside of the box that doesn't have a shield on it. And it says in the patent that it would be a good idea to put like a shield or insulation over it 
What? And I'm just like, well, why didn't you just put it off in the back? Just do it then. Don't tell me yeah, it's a good idea. Just do it. Yeah. So I'm just like, why is there just one SDR just kind of out here hanging out by itself, like not in the box? That's like buying a car with. It's like buying a car with no tires, and the note says this will work better if you put tires on it. Yeah, or it works better if you put air in the tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they that's, don't come. But it works better. <laughs> that's weird. But uh, there was that, and well, I mean, we immediately had one issue with it. I don't know if they're all this way or this just the one we have. But the side that does have a plate on it, like a panel for insulation, had like a three-quarter inch gap all along it, and we don't know if the box leaked. Or there was a bunch of heat that came out of there, but it ended up melting the step a little bit. Uh, we took a few photos of it, and I don't know what we're going to have to do about that, but we're going to have to add like an extra panel or something right there because we can't just have it keep melting the step because you know, it might <laughs> catch the truck on fire. Yeah, that's not a good idea. So huh. overall, I think the, I guess my initial review of the new Dynex 1 box is I think there might be some potential in it, I would not want to see more testing as far as performance of it. And so far, like I said, I don't like the SDR hanging out by itself. And I also don't like that it melded the step. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad sign. Um, what's the cost yeah. on this thing? Um, do you know, Pete? It wasn't much cheaper than OEM other than I think it came with the DPFs, I believe. But Dan would know that. He was on the price it out. Yeah. I know that it looked very handmade. Like all the welds and stuff on it, it, it looks handmade. Huh. And the reason we went that direction was um, the o, the OEM one. They won't even give us a date when they might even arrive. Wait, that's what I was going to yeah. ask next. What's the cost? And can you just get these? Is that the advantage here? You can get them. Yes. Yeah. yeah it was a week or two wait compared to uh, they no wouldn't give us a time frame. Yeah. Customer made customer's choice to go that direction, which almost didn't have a choice. Unfortunately, it's like you can get one, but you're definitely not getting the quality of a OEM one. So I think right. if I remember right, when I put it in, the DPFs weren't like really lined, like aligned properly. And like they had a hard time getting them in there, getting a clamp on it. You know, that's a that's a tough call. It's a really tough call because if you just can't get one and you're out of work, you got to do something. If you've been through all the channels, you've looked everywhere, you just can't put your hands on one, and this one's out there. And like you said, it's still expensive. This is a big investment. Now I know I'm spending all this money for something that's inferior and may cause me problems. That sucks. I mean, only time will tell if it actually holds up the same I mean, because if it's about the same price and it'll get you by, even though it's an inferior product, I mean, yeah, you can go for it if you can get them. Right. But if it only lasts 400,000 miles, yeah, that's, like, eh, well, it'll be worth it. Yeah, that's the risk here. I mean, you've done a great review. I appreciate you doing that. You, you told us here, I'm looking at it. It looks handmade. It's got some issues. We're already seeing some problems. That, that's not a good sign. I mean, it's a, I'm glad we can get them. Man, I'd hate to spend all that money and do nothing but fight with that thing and have problems with it. Yeah, it's really a tough call. I mean, but the other thing is, like, I just don't know how I feel about that dual pass thing. It because it seems like the def is going to come down there atomized, and it's going to have to make a one eighty. Now, I'm not like a you know an expert in like CFD, but it feels like it's just got a puddle in the one eighty when it, as soon as it hits the wall. I don't know, but. 
Yeah, that doesn't seem to make any sense that we're going to put another 180 and more distance on this tube, and that's going to atomize things better. Yeah, that's that's what they say in the embodiment of the, you know, it, whatever then, they cut on the thing. I was like, uh, we, okay. we stuck this SCR on the outside, which doesn't really make any sense, but maybe you should put a shield on it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was that was the funny part of the whole thing. Like, yeah, yeah, you should probably do this. Yeah. Or you should have sold it that way. Yep. Yeah. It's just weird. You know, it sounds like no. that this product may only exist because there's a shortage. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean there I, I feel like there there does need to be like a aftermarket solution or, you know, some sort of you know, yeah, I an mean, option. It's like that in every yeah. else. Though. But I just don't know if the quality's there yet. Maybe it's a new thing for them. That's, I'm not sure, I, but it definitely it, could get better. Yeah, it sounds like they threw this together. You know, got it out onto the market so they could start making some sales. Hopefully, they uh, they improve it. And um, yeah, that's a tough one. All right, what else you got? That's all I had for this week. All right, Pete. You're up. What's on your mind this week? Okay, Kevin. So, yes, last week we talked about that low oil pressure in the 314. So, we uh, checked bearings. And if you look at the picture I sent you with the rod bearings, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, this truck was bought, used, he doesn't know the whole history, but believes there's 500,000 miles on this reman engine that was built in 2008. So those rod bearings, to me, look like that's true. I mean, I'm not seeing anything to have any concerns. Uh, they weren't bad enough to, I mean, we changed them, but I don't think that's his oil pressure issue. I've seen a lot worse than that. And we talked about um, checking the crank on this with um, the, uh, I can't think of the name of this stuff. Plastic gauge. Plastic gauge, yeah. Thank you. Um, and we did two mains and two rods in there in spec. And, and Cummins actually has a spec for the N14 to check that. Okay. And, and they were fine. So then we continued and dropped the main bearings. And as you can see in a picture, it's unusual wear. And generally, it's the rod bearings that wear a lot more than the main bearings. And what's unusual in the picture, besides the wear being funny, like seven's really bad. But look at the upper bearings. A lot of them have wear on them, and you almost never see wear in upper bearings. If this is, I, I don't look at a lot of this, but I've looked at it in the past, and this does just look really odd. So number seven, where you see that the bottom's really bad, the top looks typical for that. That would be normal where there's just nothing going on up top. Right. And if you look at the one through seven going from left to right. So if you look at number six, you can see the upper um, starting to wear. And I have an oil or a bearing failure analysis book. And when you look close to the picture, it looks like it had uh, lack of lubrication um, on, on the top, which if that's the case, why, if it is a lack of lubrication, why aren't the rod bearings a lot worse? Right. Right. Yeah. The you, know, you now, said the rods look fine. Right. Normal for five hundred thousand miles. You know. Yeah. If say something 
the at, at you know Reman engine, they put the bearings in and put them in dry. God knows why. Um, that would explain maybe why the mains look like they look. Uh, I, I don't know, but I'm not. There's an issue there, whether it be a line bore issue or a bent crank. I'm not sure what uh, the issue is, but of course, to remedy that, the engine has to come out. Yeah. And my thought that is, hey, let's put fresh bearings in it and run it, and you know, if the problem arises, you got to pull it out anyhow. Yeah, that that seems to make sense. Engine. I was just going to say, are, are you considering just throwing some new bearings in it and see what happens? Yeah. Yeah, that's that seems doing. that seems like the way to go. It's about five hundred thousand miles, so um, that, that's what I would do. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen bearings look like this. I don't know if I've ever actually seen them look like this. You're right; it's just a, an odd pattern. And then if the rods have nowhere, that's even more unusual. You know, the one thing this um, this picture. I'm going to put this up on uh, Trucking Tribe if you haven't already done it. Um, one of the things this clearly shows us, the easiest thing to pick out from an oil sample, the easiest problem to diagnose from an oil sample is bearings. It, we say it all the time. You'll see lead. After lead, you'll see copper. This picture shows you exactly why that's so easy to pick out. You, you can see the the wear as it goes through the metal on these um, bearings. And then you see that we get to copper. And once you get to copper, you've got problems. Yeah, it's a good indication something's going on. And, and that's just why oil analysis is so important on these trucks. Yeah, well, I, I think we figured out why is oil pressure so wonky. We just now have to figure out why this happened. And, and, you know, it's a recon engine, but we've had, you know, I've been here almost 35 years and I've not seen a, a recon N14 with an issue like this. Yeah. So, you know, so it's not something that I'm like, oh, it's a recon, no wonder. It, it's, we just right. don't normally right. have issues. And, and these N14s, like, we, we, you know, do bearings at a million miles when we do a rebuild and they don't look really, it, it's unusual to find wear like this. You know, that engine is just about bulletproof. I, I can't think of a, a more solid engine that, that just holds up to almost anything than the N14. So something has gone wrong here. Like you said, line bore, bent crank, something's out of whack here. And I would be more concerned if the customer said, hey, I did bearings 100,000 miles ago and it wore that bad. Um, yeah, being there's five hundred thousand miles, I'm less concerned. Like, yes, we do have an issue. Yes, we should keep an eye on it, but I, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. Nor would I pull the engine to repair it. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, see what happens with another set of bearings. And you know what? What if you get another five hundred thousand out of another set of bearings? Yeah. At that point, the engine's going to need to rebuild anyhow. You right. got your million miles on it. Right. So, yeah, that seems like the way to go. All right. Thanks for that. It, anything else this week? Um, no, other than when, you know, Bruce was talking about the, the customers not listening. One thing I've noticed when you guys did the CN, CMC shows, that when we would get first-time customers from your show, um, how much more willing they were to listen and, and take advice. Yours, ours. Um, they didn't debate us, question us. 
oh, my friend told me this. Um, it was simply, hey, I was having CMC, and he said I needed a boost gauge. Uh, you know, uh, tell me a little bit more about it. And that obviously makes our job so much easier when that happens. And I think it's, the, you know, they went through the trouble of signing up for your show and going through the show and putting time into it. They're more willing to pay attention and listen and do what's, what needs to be done than someone that's just, I'm going to make a phone call and ask a question and ask 10, 10 different people the same question. Yeah. You know, the, it's not that the people listening to this show are good. It's the people that don't listen to the show and they hear about us. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's nice that they call, but boy, it'd be nice if they could do a little bit of homework. You know, with the other thing that happens at the CMC, obviously most of the people by far who end up at the CMC end up there because they listen to the show. So they have that daily reinforcement of hearing these things over and over. And most of the things we talk about are not the things that are in the norm. We, we tend to do things different, and I would say we do them better. But for a lot of people, it's a shock when they hear some of the things we talk about, whether it's on gearing or health or taxes or fuel mileage or whatever it might be. It's not what you typically hear everywhere else. Now, when they end up at the CMC, now not only does it get reinforced, but there was so much time. You know, you have the sessions, then you have mornings and evenings and in-between sessions and lunch. And a lot of those people got a chance to see that this is for real. You can ask anybody here to explain why we do things, how we do things. And I, I think that gives them a lot more confidence at that point. They, you know, they, they got there, question us all you want, and, you know, we'll explain it. And I think that's why people who listen to the show and certainly people who have been to one of our events, it's just a whole lot easier for them to understand this. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into some phone calls. Phone lines are open. If you dial right now, I promise you'll get through and we'll hang out till we run out of your questions. Let's get started in Tennessee today. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How are y'all? Good. What's on your mind today? I got a, that's a question about charging a battery or the battery, truck batteries. I put a, I had an 09 generator put on, and of course, you know, when the oven's running, it charges the truck battery. The, the installer said that you could run a generator, you know, going down the road. And I talked to a buddy that has one of the big RVs. He said he runs his all the time going down the road. Is that is that a problem with the truck batteries that you're charging it from the truck and the owner if they're both running? Uh, Leroy could probably answer this better, but I'm sure that's controlled. I mean, we have controllers that, um, and in fact, you might be better off with the charging from the own, and it might be more regulated than what the engine is so that you're not overcharging. They should switch from, you know, full blast charging to slower charging than the trickle charging. Some of these things have multiple stages. Um, Leroy, there shouldn't be any problem with that, right? Yeah, no, there's no problem with it. Like you said, there's either controllers for it or the battery will only take what it needs. If the generator is making 14 volts and the battery is at 13.8, uh, you know, it's not. It's only going to take 
a little bit of charge. Like you can't force more charge into even if you put it on high. It only takes them out so much input. Yeah, so it doesn't and matter that it's coming from two different. Sources. My only yeah. thing would be: Does your your alternator not charge your batteries, or like do you have that much load on it that you need an additional um, charge? Or well, no, no, I just didn't want to overcharge. If I was running the truck with the truck alternator uh, charging and the generator with the generator alternator charging at the same time. No, I mean, at some point, I mean, theoretically, you would get to some point where, like, the generator would just be running and the battery would just not be taking anything because the voltages would be okay. back. Once it maxes out, it's, uh, okay, I got you. Yeah, once yeah. once the voltage of the battery reaches to the charging, then, you know, voltages are the same. There's no current passing between them. Because it's yeah, usually a higher voltage going to a lower. And, Mike, okay. I... I I, I can tell you on, you know, a lot of RVs, this is a much more complicated system. You, you've got multiple inputs into the electrical system, and uh, mine has house batteries and starter batteries, and they're all wired together. And it is very common in the RV world, especially in the summertime, when you're running down the road, I've got my generator going because it's the only way I can keep the coach cool because I have to run my big overhead air conditioner. So if it's that hot outside, that little air conditioner coming out of the dash doesn't do anything hardly. So it's really common yeah, in yeah. the summertime on the RVs, you run the generator going down the road. Yeah, that makes sense. That the truck alternator is not going to be strong enough to power all of that. Right, so. right. Yeah, that's kind of one I question if my ac went out it would be nice to run it and have the rooftop yep you can do that so i got it fixed for us. yep okay great um you've got time with a quick question about uh uh well the programming sure programming. Okay. um i got a 2020 glider bought it new and it came with a wastegated turbo and i was only getting roughly 22 23 pounds of boost Took that off and put you know Pittsburgh Turbo and Manifold kind of the whole nine yards on, and it you know now it'll get up to twenty six, twenty seven. Uh, the two WS CAD, which seems low, is that you think that's a, a programming something they have set in the programming that's not letting the boost get up? What horsepower is it? Is it a four seventy five? Uh, five fifty. Five fifty should be twenty eight to thirty two. 28 is on the low side. I like to see them at 32. So, yes, that's in programming of your ECM. Okay. Well, I mean, the, the wastegate's a completely external thing. The ECM has no control over. So, Well, I, I took that off. He doesn't have the wastegate anymore. He's got our turbo on it. Yeah, yeah so it then came with the wastegate, but I took it off. If it's just not getting the boost, then it's just either uh, it just doesn't have enough horsepower or it's got a boost leak or exhaust leak. Yeah, check boost leaks. Everything seems to be fine. Uh, I, I guess I, I probably just need to come in and get the program done. Yeah. Okay. Is your wait time on the program? It's not as bad as the wait time on mechanical work, correct? No, just give me a day or two heads up. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll get it in the next few weeks. We'll give oh. it a shot. All right. Okay. That's all I got. I appreciate all right. that, That's all we need. Thanks for the call. We're going to grab another one. Lines are open. It is a maintenance free-for-all. It's the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. If you've got a question, jump in right now. I promise you'll get through. 
3835. We're going to head off to Georgia this time. Rory, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello, all. What's on your mind today? I sent you an oil sample. Oh, okay. I sent you an oil sample. Let me go find it. It's stuff from Bruce. Yep. Uh, let's see. I know I had some here this morning. Oh, there it is. All right, let's see what we're looking at here. So we've got an X15, what year? Uh, the truck is a 19. I think I saw somewhere on the engine, on the plate, that the engine was like a 17 or an 18. Okay. But so, I put it down as a, as a 19. So this is... Um, that makes a difference. This is just a standard uh, Rotella T4, right? Yes. Um, it says 10W40. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Okay. I have trouble finding what I really want to use. Yeah, well, if, if this is a standard oil, something is... Off. We have no fuel dilution, but your viscosity is really low. Like the viscosity looks like this should be a 30 weight synthetic, not a 40 weight conventional. But there's no reason that well, I'm that, seeing why it would be like that. I asked for a what they put on there might have been wrong. I just copied it off of the receipt from the dealership. But I always ask for a semi-synthetic um, something in the middle. I like a thirty weight, uh, especially in the. I'm gonna. Time. I'm gonna um, guess that there's that they put a thirty weight in here, um, and it may have been a synthetic okay. or a, a semi-synthetic because there's no reason why the viscosity should be this low. So we're going to assume that it, it, uh -huh. the viscosity is okay and that X15 will handle a 30-weight oil just fine. So we'll just set that aside. I don't see any other indication, so I think we can ignore that for the most part. Um, I am a little concerned about the iron. Are you running the catalyst? Yes. Okay. That may be the increased iron, although it even looks a little high for that. You've got uh, 40,000 miles on the oil. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. You know, I would expect without catalyst, your iron should be in the 40 to 50 range with catalyst. You know, we might see it in the 50 to 60 range. Um, you're almost at 90. That seems like an awful lot. Bruce, any thoughts on that? What, what is the uh, iron? Uh, 86 on 39,000 miles, and none of the other wear metals are elevated at all. Maybe a little bit of aluminum at nine. That might be just a little high. Rory, did you say you're running 30 weight? Well, Were you like 30 weight? Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I asked for a, a 10, I asked for a 1030 semi synthetic. You know, all the new engines should be running on 30-weight, Bruce. Okay, I thought you said, when you said 30-weight, I didn't hear 1030. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, I oh, heard 30. Oh, oh, I you never want to run oh, a straight weight oh, yeah. in today's engine. No, no. It, it, it's a, And again, it, it says that it's a, a, a 
40 weight, but I don't think it is because there's no reason why the viscosity would be this low. So I think they just have the, they put a different oil in here than what we think is in here. Uh, but none of the other wear metals are really also, elevated. Halfway, halfway through this, that 40,000 cycle, I put a half a gallon of Lucas in it. I don't know if that makes a difference or not. But. Well, yeah, it's, the viscosity should be higher then. That, that would have raised your viscosity, if anything. So that makes the low viscosity even more confusing. Huh. Yeah, that's kind of odd. And low viscosity could cause wear metals, but I don't know what hurt the viscosity. It's not fuel. Hmm. I don't know. That's kind of odd. Uh, did oh, you, it's sounding more like a trip to Saxonburg. Uh, I don't yeah. even know what we would look for at this point. Um, did you change this oil? Yes. Okay. Then, uh, you know, all I would I do is wait. Sample I, I, I would wait for the next sample. Because I, I, I wouldn't even know what to tell anybody to go look for. Rory, pull a sample at 15,000, and when you get it, call me. I will. No problem. Yeah, that, that's good advice. Also, I think I need to, I, I'm pretty sure that I need to do an OPS and a pass on this. Certainly uh, can't hurt. I can get a lot, I can get a lot more samples, uh, the intervals on the samples can be closer. Right. And then on the OPS, it's uh, filter change is 25. Did I read that right? Pete, is that more telling people to change the OPS filter at 25 yeah. pounds? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. okay. But easier to take a sample with the OPS on as well, which is so convenient. Yeah, yeah, it's right off the side. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite feature of that. Yeah. So, wow, at eight hundred dollars, well, between six and eight hundred dollars in oil change now. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. All right, so it'll be kind of a, a nervous fifteen thousand miles. No, I, I, like I say, I'm not seeing anything here that I'm even that worried about, really. Um, you know, some elevated iron with no apparent reason. I, I would just, let's wait and see, but I wouldn't be too worried. All right. Well, at least you didn't say copper, because that one would have really... Yeah, been yeah. Now, right? it, it, so? You know, even when we see elevated iron... Um, there's no immediate effect. It takes a long, long time to wear out enough iron that we actually start to see problems. You know, if we're seeing lead, you know, you got to get on that really quick because you can wear through that lead on the bearing quickly and then get to copper. But with iron, again, I'm not even sure why it's there. So I just let's see what happens on this next sample. Maybe we'll see some sort of a pattern. How much catalyst are you are you using? Are you making sure you're putting the correct amount in, and maybe not too much? Are you uh, five gallons, or are you just kind of so winging it? 
Well, I generally, I've gotten used to, I always fuel up at the same, you know, pretty much I always take on 150. Um, I have small tanks on this big house. I have 100 and, and a 120. So I always take on 150, and I'm so used to six ounces at 150. Now, mm-hmm. have I gone and accidentally, you know, guessed wrong, and and there's an extra ounce? Sure, many a time. Yeah, that's not a problem. My concern was maybe you were doing you know, math in your head wrong. You're not paying attention. You're looking at something, and, and say you were doubling it up. Um, that might no, be- I'm definitely not doing two to okay. one. Okay. No. Hey, there are times where there might be an ex How do How do you like? I'm, most people don't know that you have the. That's a ten speed Allison. Yes. And how do you like that transmission uh, now? I like the transmission. Um, it does every once in a while. Um, I know you're going to get on me about this because I know you don't like when I use the control. But um, sometimes it argues with the cruise control so I get a little grind type of thing going on. Um, but You're saying that it, when it shifts and you're on cruise, it'll grind? It's kind of like, um, okay, so when you start going down a hill, how it kind of holds you back. Mm-hmm. A little bit, almost like a little re- like retarder type of thing. Um, and if I interrupt it while it's doing that with my foot, sometimes it'll like get a stutter step. If that makes any sense. Um, confusing, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it's like, hey, I'm, you know, you asked me to do this, and now you want that, and so. It kind of fights with each other to shift yeah. up or down uh, type of thing. I do wish uh, it was like a 12. Um, so I've got I've got 365 on it right now. And uh, I was thinking about going to 500 before offloading it. Uh, ARI just called me recently and said, hey, it's going to take us a year to build you another one. You better start thinking about it now. So I heard, and I haven't confirmed it yet, that the Allison has a fully automatic 18. Um, so I'm interested in that. They were like, well, it's expensive, but I'm interested in that. And even for the extra money, because they have a 750,000 mile, you know, Full warranty on that. Hey, you get the hey, specs on hey, that Rory. 18, Allison. Send them to me. Roy, yeah, I'd like to see the oh, specs on that too. I may go look. I had no idea they had anything like that. But let me let me just change one thought you had there. How long have you owned trucks? Uh-huh. Oh, off and on for years. Uh, I my first brand new truck was a Century 120. And that was, uh, I don't know, like maybe 96, 97. Okay. So you, then you, I got out of it for a while. You, got back. You, in. You've yeah. had a couple trucks. You've been around a little bit. Um, I had a lot of trucks yep. in 25 to 30 years of owning trucks. Uh, in all the trucks I've owned yep. in being on the air here, 
talking to people for years and years and years. I can't think of one single transmission failure. Transmissions almost never uh-huh. fail. They go a million plus miles. Right. We don't touch them. They, it, so the fact that a manufacturer offers a 750,000 mile warranty on my transmission is completely meaningless to me because I've never had one fail. Why would I worry okay. about it? It, it? It's just not a factor for me. Right. You know, the much, much bigger factor would be we have like zero experience with even this 10 speed. How do we set these things up? How do we gear them? Where do they get their best fuel economy? Now we're going to go to a really complicated 18-speed if these are true automatics. And I'm assuming that's what Allison's building. They're not going to go build a an automated manual, I don't think. Maybe they would. I, I don't know why they no, would. It's like your car. It, well, that's what I'm... I, We have zero experience. I I have to believe that an 18-speed, truly automatic transmission, uh, one, is going to be expensive. Two, it's probably pretty heavy. And three, I wouldn't even have a clue how to spec that thing. What do you you think the advantage of an 18-speed automatic would be? Even at 12, I would just like to drop the RPMs a little bit um, before, like Bruce already knows, before I do anything, I always, you know, get his blessing on gearing and things of that nature. Um, I would like to drop the RPMs a little bit, even though they're they're not very, they're like, I don't know, what am I, I'm, I'm at 13 now. Um, at what speed? 70, 70, but I normally don't even run that high because I'm lazy. Okay. So I I drive at a slower speed because I hate going constantly coming out, going around somebody going out, coming out, going around, let them all go around me and I'm less stressed and I'm lazy and I get better fuel economy. I would like to, I don't think you want to drop your RPM much more. No. Uh, What, what, what are you, what's your RPM at 60? Oh, you always ask me this. Uh, at 60, yeah, yep, yep. Okay. So I'm dropping down. I'm so, at 62 now at 12. So, Rory, um, you're, Rory you're, you're, yeah, those RPMs are fine, but I have a question. You, you mentioned that you yep. drive slow all the time, so you don't have to go around people, but you knew your exact RPM at 70. You had to slow down to 62, and you, to, you didn't know it. So what do you consider slow? Uh-oh. I like, I like, uh, if I set the cruise control at 64, um, I get really, you know, just better fuel economy that way. I try to stay between six and a half and seven. Um, I, I run light most of the time, mainly aviation. Uh, but there are times where I would like to, you know, if I was up at 70 or whatever, you know, you're out west and the speed limit's 80, I don't go 80, but 72 would be nice. And well, here's you got to have RPM. You can't, you can't have it at 1,000 RPM at 70. You're just bucking too much wind. You got to have some RPM to have the rotating mass. 
Roy, and here's here's what I'm hearing. Gotcha. I, I, I'm hearing, and these are your words. Uh, I'm lazy. You know, I don't really want to mess with that. I don't want to mess with this. I just, I want to do this, which is fine. Those are your words. But in the middle of all this, yep. you're considering going out and probably buying what I would imagine. I don't even know that this thing exists, but if it does, it's probably the most expensive, the heaviest, and these the, the most complicated transmission I've heard of putting into a Class A truck. And I can't understand why you would do that. You're, you haven't even mentioned gears one time. The gears are far more important than the transmission. When you talk about we want to lower our RPMs, well, you don't do that with the transmission. You do that with gears. So what I would recommend to you is right. don't, don't, don't go look for this expensive, complicated transmission when you don't even really care much about the specs on your truck. What, uh, I always forget, Bruce. What is my gearing? Was it See that, Rory? Rory, there's my point. You yep. don't even know yep. your gears. You don't care. You obviously don't care. You don't even know what they are, and that's okay. I'm not beating up on you for not knowing. What I'm saying is, don't go right. look for this expensive, complicated option when you've done nothing to maximize the fuel economy on your current specs. Really, I, I don't, you know, I don't recall what's it been a year and a half since you bought that truck. And yeah, I'd have to go way back in my notes and we'd have to find out when you bought it. Cause I date, I fill up about four or five pages every day and I put the oh, yeah. date on it. So we'd have well, to Well, the dyno back. did amazing stuff. I mean, we're 60, I got it in front of me here, 680 horsepower and 1928 on the torque. Hey, Rory, Rory, something else I haven't heard in this call, I don't think. I think you might have kind of mentioned it at one time, but I didn't even understand it. Um, I haven't really heard you talk about fuel economy. Yeah, 6.7 to 7.2, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it, it, don't I don't go chase after that transmission. Spec this one. Hey, Roy, call me after the show. Yeah. I'm going to get you a gallon yeah. of this uh, mileage improver, and let's try it on that truck. Yep, no problem. Okay. All right. I, I need some more. All right, we're going to move on to Illinois. Jim, welcome to the program. Oh, I'll also let you know, uh, Jim is at the last call on the board. We're coming up on the top of the hour. We will stay here uh, as long as we've got questions. So if you want to jump in, there's still some time. Better do it quickly. 855-950-3835. Jim, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Hey, while you got Bruce on, could he give me a quick rundown on the max mileage in in gasoline engines and the the benefit to that? And what, I know what are you talking about it putting in your Harley and uh, it would be a fleet of uh, Ford gas engines, the EcoBoost turbo engines. Okay. That's one cc per gallon, or it's still one ounce to 25 gallon. But if you're, if you're going to buy 15 gallons, you put in 15 cc's. 
I got gotcha. you. Okay, what, what what kind of benefits could I see out of a gas engine? I, I know you said you've put them in Harleys and Audis uh, and chainsaws, but all kinds of stuff. They're, they're smoother, they're quieter, they're more responsive. And as far as the new car emission, the, the yeah. new car emission systems is fine for it? Yep. Jane, Dr. Jane is running one of the, the highest-end Volkswagen they have, and I think it's a three supercharged three liter, and she notices quite a difference with it as opposed to without it. When when you get your your mileage improver going that you're testing, is, is that going to be good for gas too? No, that strictly will be yeah. diesel. I think that'll be diesel. All right, all right. And then somebody's no, going to put it in gas. Somebody's going to put it in gasoline. Call me and tell me something. Yeah. Well, no. If it, I mean, if it's that good and does good in gas engines, I I know you're messing with the mileage, the, the fuel improver. I thought maybe it'd do some good there too. But all right. Yeah. The, the uh, mileage catalyst was was designed and built by Jane for diesel. Dwayne Erke was the. He's up in Wisconsin. He was the first person that we know to put it in gasoline. And I can tell you, I basically hated this Harley Davidson, and I had about $50,000 in this thing trying to make it right. I was ready to just yank the engine out and get a whole new crate engine, and the cattle fixed it. I went from hating it to loving it. All right. Let's go to Virginia. Charlie, welcome to the program. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, I called in because I am one of the ones using the mileage improver. I have noticed a little bit of an increase in the fuel economy, but what I've noticed even more is a throttle response on this truck. It's a lot quicker and a lot smoother. Uh, I do use the fuel gauges, so Kevin, if you want to, I gave them the name of my truck. You can go in there and look, I've got like 890 fuel ups, probably 940,000 mile uh, data for you to look at. I will do oh, that. When did, you get your, when did you get your gallon? Did you get it late last I got weekend? it. I picked it. I picked it up the 29th of June. I initially did a, because I only had about three quarters of a tank of fuel, I initially did a 225-gallon treatment. Then on Friday when I filled it up, I treated it one ounce to 25 gallons. Uh And I've I've got three, one, two, three, four fill-ups since I've used it. And when I used to fill up at three quarters of a tank, I'd have under six miles per gallon as an average. The last two that I filled up at 75 gallon, three quarters of a tank was 7.0 and 7.77. And that's the 30,000 in the box, truck weighing 37.5 empty. But everything's full of fuel. Interesting. So that's, I mean, if, if Kevin wants to look back and keep an eye, I'll probably wind up putting another 75, 80 gallon in the truck tomorrow. Uh, well, here's, uh, I'm, 
Gone from Tennessee to New York. You know, I call us next week too. Yeah, Bruce. Here's 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 some numbers. Here's uh, I, I'm in your account right now, Charlie. Here are some numbers. Uh, congratulations, by the way. You have used fuel gauges for 890 fuel ups. That's pretty awesome. Um, here's the thing. Thank I, you. I, I, I love it. Yeah, I don't like to take real short-term results and make any big deal about them. You know, let's wait and see what happens on a 30-day sure. average. But but when I look at something like this, it does kind of trigger something. So is, is fuel up on the 5th of today was 7.06. Well, if I look back historically, he had a 7 point two on the twenty seventh, a seven point two on June eleventh, uh, a seven point three on May twenty third, a seven point one on May ninth. I mean, he kind of gets to seven point three every now and then, but those are his highest numbers. I'm looking way back. I went. 50 fuel ups back and 7.3 is about the highest he ever hits he hits it once in a while and now we have a 7.8 virtually i went back 50 fuel ups he's never hit that before so yeah it's a real short-term result but when somebody has been tracking their fuel this long and this accurately and you see there's kind of a record high here it's only a couple tens but there's there's already something that might be saying well, maybe there's something to this. Interesting. Well, we don't know till we try. And everything I've tried for forty five years, I've tested with owner operators, and that way I get the true results. I don't test with companies. First, you test on the dyno and see, but the owner operator gives you the true results because it's the real world yeah especially when they've got this much history so uh thanks for the uh feedback there charlie well you're welcome uh and i'll keep keep in touch with you and like i say you can you can open it up every now and then and see what's going on yeah i'll Uh, I'll keep an eye on it but you got quicker you get quicker throttle response. And that just goes to show how bad straight diesel fuel is because the max mileage improves throttle response, cleans the engine, and now this next chemical gives you more throttle response. That's just telling you how bad today's fuels are. Yeah, it is. And I always try, if Gavin wants to open up each one of them, he'd see that I pretty much fuel with the same truck stops all the time. I don't jump from one to the other. Uh, I find where she runs the best on the fuel, and that's where I always try to fuel with that. Okay. All right, Charlie. All right. Uh, Well, I thought I'd give you that feedback. Like I say, I know it's early in, but. I figured it might help a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, glad to hear I'm, it. I'm I'm following your results now, so I'll keep an eye on it. If anybody else, you know, you can follow people on fuel gauges so that uh, every time they fuel up, you get notified and you go check it out. Let's uh, let's go to Nebraska. Brad, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. I was wondering if you'd review an oil sample for me, but it's on a skid loader instead of a truck. 
Yeah, so I, I've got it here in front of me. It's a different sample, and now I know it's a different uh, it's a skid loader, so I have to kind of get up to speed here. Uh, the first thing I'd look at are the notes. They have almost no notes in here. Uh, and we don't have any history, so I don't really have anything to compare this with. So all I can really do is look for anything that might jump out as being um, really unusual, and I don't see anything at all. Uh, everything looks pretty darn normal on this. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing anything. It, this just looks like a pretty normal, clean sample. I noticed the sulfation, which I'm not real sure what that is, is up towards 25, and the oxidation is somewhere around that as well. Uh, my guess is this oil, even though it may not have a lot of hours, probably been in this thing for a while. Uh, should have only had 400 hours. Uh, was the first sample since they bought the machine, and so how? Bobcat recommends 200. Yeah. So how long of a period of time has that been? Uh since December of this past year. So. Okay. So months. some some of that oxidation can just happen over time. It just oxidizes over time. The longer the oil's open and in an engine, the more oxidation we can see. The other thing that can cause that, what engine is in this thing? The 3300 Kubota. Okay. Do you know what RPM it's running at or what temperature? I do not. I think max RPM is right around 2800. Okay which is pretty high compared to what we're used to, more than double what we're used to. Um, I, the oxidation and sulfation are slightly high, but I've also never seen those two cause any problems. My guess is this thing's running higher RPM, maybe a little higher temperature. The oil's been in here a while based on the hours that are on it. So I don't think those are problems at all i mean i'm not seeing anything on this oil sample that would cause me any concern okay i, I know i run uh, ops on my truck and i just changed the green filter the other day and i had an idea i don't know if it's a good one or not uh, can a guy reuse that oil since it's typically clean well, Since it doesn't really break down. Well, wh what do you mean reuse it? Why take it out? Well, you got to change the filter. And instead of dump draining it, the filter, pour it back into the engine. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. No. No, it's, 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 it's not worth that. To, all you're going to save is a quart of oil. Um, and we're probably dumping garbage back out of that filter in there. No, I wouldn't do that. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not, not worth uh, saving. I guess I have another. Uh, not worth saving a quart of oil. Let's go to Alberta. Ben, welcome to the program. Good morning, everybody. Hey, um, I'm just wondering about uh, 
what's the difference between a factory manifold and a, and a custom one, also fleet air filters and a, and a factory air filter and all your add-ons? What's the difference and the advantages to switching? Okay, so you, have you, yeah, I, I can explain it. Have you read our website? Have you looked at our website? Uh, yes, yes, a while back. Okay. Uh, and did you, did you, what engine do you have? Uh, there's quite a few engines. We have uh, uh, Cummins ISX 2 okay. and uh, N14. Okay. Uh, On the manifolds. Let's start with the manifolds. The manifolds flow 20% more exhaust. They're cast in the USA instead of China. It's a better alloy. The joints are, have a 3,000th interference fit, so they're pressed together, so there's no leaks. Uh, where the stock manifolds usually crack, especially on the Detroits, there's gussets put in there. The face of the manifold where the turbo bolts on is heavier. And it has a ceramic coating to it. It uh, lowers the exhaust temperature 125 degrees. And usually you see about a quarter mile per gallon fuel improvement. And the throttle response, you gain throttle response with it because it eliminates the turbulence of the exhaust going into the turbine housing. If you see the picture of the flow bench on our website where there's six pieces of yarn going into a stock manifold, when they're coming out of the flow, they're waving all over the place. If you see on the ported and ceramic coated exhaust manifold, the six pieces of yarn from the six ports representing the flow from the six cylinders, they're dead straight in the air. So when you straighten out the flow of the air, it moves at a quicker pace. So it's getting, letting the exhaust get to the turbine wheel quicker and smoother. So, so the exhaust runs cooler because the thickness of the manifold, the thickness of no, the, the material. Exhaust, the exhaust runs cooler because it flows 20% more exhaust. Oh, I see. Yeah, because it's more and lower restriction, it's eliminating the back pressure in the engine. So it's allowing the engine to run more free. So when you're going down a highway, you're actually pushing less on the throttle. That makes sense. And also the air filter, because yeah, what, what's the difference between them? Like the the stock, air fil stock air filters are paper. The fleet air filters are three different layers of foam. And... They were designed to start out with to be on a stock car, on a dirt track stock car, and to keep the dirt out of the carburetor. Um, when we put them on uh, on highway trucks, you can actually hear the turbo better through the air filter. We have less air restriction. You take the outer layer off, you wash it in a five-gallon bucket or a laundry tub with Dawn dishwashing detergent. I dry mine in towels, and then once it's dry, you spray it with the cloth oil.
So it's, uh, no, no, it's no. like a cone shaped printer. <laughs> you need to change the housing also. Like, uh, no, no. Well, whenever, whenever you buy the fleet air filter, and we keep about 110 of them in stock, it comes with the housing that holds the foam. And all okay. you ever do is wash the outer layer of foam. I see. Yeah. Uh, and another question about the max mileage. Uh, I've been running it for about 15 to 20 fill-ups in a 3,500 3, Chevy. And uh, when that engine before, when you were logging the engine, it was smoking black quite a bit, and it kind of quit that black smoke. But the odd time now, it smokes gray, just, uh, just a hair. You can, not all the time, just sometimes. I'm just wondering uh, what that could be. So on this 3500 Chevy, that has the Doramax diesel? Yes. And what's your gross weight? Gross weight, uh, I'm not even quite sure. It doesn't really carry a lot of weight, no pulling. It just has a... Well, wait, are you towing trailers? Are you hauling freight with this? No. No, it's oh, just okay. a service truck. Oh, just a service truck. Okay. And how many miles are on the, is it a DPF? Does it have the DPF? Uh, no. It's an 06, um, oh, okay. 590,000 kilometers. It's just a high mileage 06. I think it's just when you see the gray, it's just, it's just cleaning at times. It's just keeping the engine clean. I see. Just keep running the wireless. Why are you lugging it though? Uh, it's the odd time when you kind of step on the gas pedal, uh, and the RPM is kind of low on the low side. It kind of lugs sometimes, and then I just noticed that uh, smoking black before, and ever since I've been using this for about I don't know eight fill ups, the max mileage it stopped. Smoking black. It still does it a little bit, but not very much. Yeah, well, so yeah, it's definitely well, I mean, working. You've got you've got three or four hundred thousand miles of carbon and soot built up in the EGR system, and now you're just cleaning it out. Uh, whenever you are at low RPMs and you go to get after the throttle, you want to be gentle on the throttle. You want to really. You don't really want to gouge on it. Yeah, I'm going to get the RPM, find out where the peak torque is on that engine and make sure that you're about two to 300 RPM over the peak torque when you gouge if you're going to give it a lot of fuel. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, ever since I've been listening to you guys, I kind of learned, taught myself how to drive. So, Do you have a turbo boost gauge in there? That's one thing I don't have, no. If you put a boost gauge in there, then it'll really show you how to drive it and where it's working its best. Yeah. Might be worth a $102 investment. I see. Yeah, I think so, too. There you go. But, All yeah. right. We're going to grab another call. We're going to head off to Georgia this time. Richard, welcome to the program. Hey, uh, I just heard Bruce mention something about the air filter that I had thought about doing, but wasn't sure if it would be recommended or not. But 
Bruce, you said something about you just take the outer layer off of the air filter and clean it. Do you put that back on without changing the other inner two, or uh, you just yeah, put no, out you don't, layer? You, don't, you don't touch the inner two. You just clean the outer one. Okay, and how often would I change the inner two or wash them? I would never, we never change the inner two. So, okay. Uh, uh, the, the outer layer is what catches the main dirt, and it's held in there by with the oil. Okay, I've been I've been uh, taking them off and washing all three of them. But uh, okay, I'll uh, try uh, doing the outer. Yeah, yeah. I bought an extra, much, extra set. Uh, are you are you getting much dirt out of the inner two? I, I do notice some. I, I don't know if I'm. It's not as dirty as the outer layer. Uh, for sure, but I don't know if I'm just not putting enough oil on the outer layer or on all of them. Would that be the case? Huh. Are you doing yeah. oil analysis? Dirt in yes. the engine, it would show up there. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, Yeah, and my suit. Let's see, on my last oil sample, not not, not uh, silicon. Oh, silicon. Si. Si. Okay, let me let me see what that is. You uh, report. Si. Okay, that is. Uh, I'll give you the last uh, last couple of them. It's sixteen, eleven, six, thirteen, and six. Six was my last one. This is good. Thirteen's a little high. Are you in a dump yeah. truck operation? Are you in dust? No, uh, I do every now and then go in. Uh, I go in a lot of uh, truss yards where they build trusses, and a lot of my dirty. Uh, I think pretty much the thirteen and the sixteen was the one that I kind of went a little over on the on the mileage on it before I got a chance to change uh, cleaning it. But I normally try to clean them every other every other oil change. Okay, you might want to put a little bit more oil on it. Okay, on the uh, boost gauge, I got the uh, scan gauge KR. I also have a factory turbo boost gauge that came from the factory, my T six hundred Kenworth two thousand model. Um, okay. Right now, it's showing at about 10, 10 pounds of boost, and uh, my Scan gauge is running at about six point six. Um, I don't know if the scan gauge would be more accurate than the uh, uh, factory uh, boost gauge. So, what kind of truck is this? Did you say it's a two thousand T six hundred Kenworth with a uh, ninety nine Detroit? Huh. What about when you get to That's a pretty big? Yeah, what about when you get to max boost? What are the two different gauges reading at max boost? Uh, max boost, um, I've I've gotten it up to probably be about thirty four, and on the us on the uh, truck boost gauge, and on the scan gauge, it's normally running about thirty, right at right at thirty thirty one maybe. It's about four pounds, anywhere from four to six pounds difference. Is your yeah. By the time by the time I look from one to the other one, I can't I can't focus both of my eyeballs on, yeah. on each one of them <laughs> to make sure is, we make sure they're 
where they're at. Is the engine mo- mostly stock? Uh, yes. So Bruce doesn't five, uh, 500 horsepower. Doesn't the thirty pounds it's sound more accurate? Five hundred, it should make thirty pounds. Right. So it sounds like the scan gauge is accurate. He's at thirty pounds at max boost. Uh, hmm. Okay. Where does this truck operate? Uh, I normally run in the southeast, uh, Florida, Georgia, Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. And uh, just the bottom half of North Carolina is all I'm running right now. We have a way, Leroy, don't we have a way of testing that, the uh, factory boost gauge? Um, several years ago, we were talking about, we were finding uh, some on the Detroits to, to be wrong. What were yeah, we doing so to fix the that? The first thing to determine is whether the gauge in the dash is a data link gauge or if it's a manual gauge. If it's a data link gauge, meaning that it gets its boost reading from the ECM, it should exactly right. match the scan gauge. Unless the okay. gauge itself, like the needle moved or it has some sort of gauge issue. If it's a manual okay. gauge, then yes, they can be different and they may need calibrated so that they properly align. Uh, so if it's a data link gauge, it'll have a it'll have a wiring system on the back of the ga- on the on the scan on the boost gauge, and if it's a manual, it'll have a like a air tube. Correct. Okay. Uh, I can check that with the uh, co- uh with the computer. Um, uh, the de- I got the computer from y'all. Would that uh, kind of give a more accurate? Uh, reading off the ECM, or that's, that's going to be about the same thing as a scan gauge? It'll be the exact same as a scan gauge. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I was just curious about the uh, air filter, so I can just start changing that or cleaning and uh, re-oiling the outside. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And put a little extra oil on. Right. Okay. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to... Thank you. Uh, Pennsylvania this time. Randy, welcome to the program. Hello, gentlemen. What's on uh, your mind I'm not today? a trucker, but as long as you've been on. And uh, I have a Sprinter, 2020 Sprinter. I know Kevin has one. And I was wondering uh, what I can do to improve my fuel mileage and possibly use a scan gauge. Oh, so we'll we'll come back to improving fuel mileage. I can't believe I don't know this for sure. The reason I don't know it for sure is because the electronics in the Sprinter with its own, you know, computer and, you know, data port. I can see all kinds of stuff. I've never even thought about putting a scan gauge on it because there was already enough information there. Uh, I think though that that Sprinter uses the OBD2 port. So you can get a scan gauge, but not the scan gauge KR. But you got to double check that. It shouldn't be hard to figure out. I don't know why I don't know that, but um, the passenger cars use a different port the obd2 port which i actually think now volvo trucks are going to that port as well so we have to figure out which port 
you would read from. If it's an OBD2, then you would go get a, a standard scan gauge. If it's the... Okay. Oh, shoot. Leroy, what are the other two? I don't know why I always forget those. The J19? Is that uh, what it either is? a 6 or a 9 in Deutsche. Yeah, if it has either one of those two, then you can use the uh, scan gauge KR. So you got to figure out. Either way, you can get a scan gauge. Whether or not you can use a scan gauge KR, I'm not sure. As far as fuel mileage improvement, what are you getting? I'm going to get, do you have the, uh, which engine do you have in yours? There's two of them. It's the 6, the 3.06 liter. Okay, so you've got the bigger Uh, one. Um. Are you getting anywhere near twenty? Thirty. No, I uh, I have dualies, I have ladder racks. I'm a handyman. I have it loaded uh, close to eleven thousand pounds. Ooh. with super springs. Okay. Only a thirty-five hundred, but I beefed it up. I run the catalyst. Um. So. You know, every every little drop helps, and uh, what it what are you getting? I can do better. Fourteen point six is my. Uh, Here's yeah, no, wait a second. Wait wait a second. Where do you live? Uh, just outside Philadelphia, in Willow Grove. Okay, so and you're a handyman, so it's a lot of local. Right. Stop and go. And here's yeah. here's where I see the problem okay. on this. Um, and I've had both. I, the first Sprinter we had had the smaller engine in it. We were getting 22 yeah, and 23 that. out of that. But it struggled. And we didn't have it heavy at all. I mean, it has the RV conversion, but we don't put much else in it. It's not like we, we, we really keep that thing pretty light. The little engine struggled. The three liters, much stronger. We get about 18. Um, but I the problem here, Bruce mentioned, a lot of stopping and starting. But more so than that, that engine's too small for 11,000 pounds. It's just working too hard. I, I don't have issues with uh, power or starting no, it, or it, it, moving. It, you won't because of the gearing, but okay. but that engine is working hard. So I'm not surprised you're getting 14. And unless unless somebody out there builds some sort of a tuner for this thing, like banks or somebody like that, that's going to be your best bet. There is one. There is one available. $1,460. That may and, be, uh, that may be your best bet. But also, you, you got to really remember diesel engine is not efficient on city drive and starting it up, going a mile or two or five miles, shutting it off and it cools down. That's not efficiency for a diesel engine. Uh, Cummins went through this back in the, 89 and 90 when they first came out with the the, the uh, 5.9 in the Dodge pickup. Uh, I was spending a lot of time at the plant and I would hear some of these phone calls and I was a victim of it myself. I, I was seven tenths of a mile from the shop. Then I'd go to the gym, which was another mile. Then you'd start it up and go to the post office. That was a half mile. The poor thing never got to warm up. And I got 12 miles to the gallon around town, but I got 20 on the open road. 
I'll tell you, on the open road, uh, going back and forth to Florida, I didn't even hit 17. Was it 16.4, 16.5? How much weight did you have? 11,000 pounds. Yeah. See, there's your problem. Not It's a lot of weight, and these are small engines. They really are. They just were, and I know they build these trucks to do exactly what you're doing, contracting, and you can load them up with all kinds of weight, and they'll handle it. They, they do okay. You're just not going to get any fuel economy out of them. Gotcha. My five-cylinder no. 2005 with 128 horsepower got about uh, 1.8 miles per gallon more. Yeah, that, that, that seems about right. It could. There's so many other factors going on. You know, and like I said, the the smaller Sprinter as an RV getting 22, sometimes 23 on the highway is pretty damn impressive. But put any kind of weight to it when I put a trailer behind it. Uh, and it was just a little trailer, hardly any weight at all. My fuel mileage tanked. I dropped right down to 16 or 17. Yes. Hey, when you take this, you said you're a handyman. Do you take it to Florida? Do you work there in the winter with it? I uh, visit my mother and do some work down there. Yeah. What part of Florida? Uh, Fort Pierce, which is uh, an hour north of West Palm Beach. Okay. A couple hours south of Orlando. He's over on the, so other, you're on the other side of the state. My, yeah. my sister's in Punta Gorda, and sometimes she needs handyman work. She's on the good coast. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. All right. We're, uh, well, no. we're, we're going to cut you loose. We're going to wrap this up. You know, before I wrap this up today, I'm going to do a little rant. Um, Bruce and I always talk about having a good relationship with shops and, you know, rewarding good companies. And uh, I do, I try to do that as much as I can. And one of the companies that I've always been really impressed with, if you talk to anybody up in the Pacific Northwest, um, Les Schwab tires, have you ever dealt with them? Once. Was it a good experience? It was trailer tires on the snowmobile trailer, so. No big deal. Uh, They have an awesome reputation. They always have. When I was first up here in the military 40 years ago, uh, it was the first time I had any experience with them, and they had a great reputation then. So I don't have to use tire companies a lot, but when I do, I always just go to Les Schwab. They do a great job, and I get batteries and some other stuff from them, and um, always been very satisfied. But boy, what we're dealing with right now with the shortages and the labor shortages, even a company like this with just a stellar reputation has fallen apart. So I have had a really, really slow leak on a tire on one of my vehicles for over a year. For me, it's been such a slow leak that where I park it in the garage, the compressor hose is right there and I don't drive this car all that much so when i need to i just put some air in that tire i've been doing it for about a year it'll lose if i pump it all the way up to 34 which is i where i normally keep them it'll lose about a pound a day then it gets down to around 24 and it almost stops leaking so you know if it sits in the garage for a week or two i'll pump it right back up i'll drive it it's no big deal i just let it go um 
it annoys Lisa though, and I understand why. So I thought I should just go get the damn thing fixed. So the other day I thought I'm going to stop in, let them fix it. So I stop in, took them a while. They're shorthanded. No big deal. I got some work done while I was sitting there. Um, the guy comes out and he says it was a really small leak. There was a nail in there. We took care of it. No charge. And they do that a lot. I almost feel guilty. I'm like, you know, I want to pay you. You fixed it. I'll pay you. But no charge. I get up the next morning. I came home, checked all the pressures, got them all equalized, had everything right at 34. I get up the next morning. That tire's at 24. I lost 10 pounds overnight. So now I got to go back and I got to wait again. All right. No big deal. You made a mistake. So the guy comes in, a young kid, and he comes in and he says, boy, I don't know who worked on that tire last time, but they certainly screwed it up. And I said, well, I was just here two days ago. You guys did. What's wrong? And he said, well, it was a small leak, but they got too aggressive. Um, and now we can see cord, the tire shot. And I'm like, well, that kind of sucks because I'm down to about five or six, 30 seconds. These tires would easily last me all summer, but now I'm going to have to replace all four. And the guy says, yeah, you really do need to replace all four. And there's bad news. We, we can't get that tire size anywhere, any tire. Now I want the original factory Michelin put back on it. They can't get any tire in that size, none. So now I got to put my stupid donut spare on there. And the kid says, the manager's looking for tires. He'll call you when he finds something. That was last week. I haven't had a call back yet. Nobody even bothered to call me. I, I, did I you just, look at the hole? I didn't get to see it, no. No, I was kind of disgusted with the whole thing, um, just the way they had handled it. And I've never had service like this from them ever. Uh, and so then the Eight funny thing ago. was, over the weekend... I get an email from Les Schwab. We want to do a survey. We want to know how your experience was. And I let them know. And I said, you are currently in danger of losing a lifetime customer. All you have to do is fix the problem. Find me a solution. I'm willing to buy four tires. Cut me a good deal on them because you screwed up. But nobody's even called me. Nothing. So we'll see if any anything happens today. I know it was a holiday weekend, but uh, I blasted them on their survey. But I, I just think this is um, this is what we're dealing with, and e- even companies that have stellar reputations are struggling with this. I think you better look inside that tire. Is it back on the vehicle? No, it won't hold air anymore. I had a screw right as the tire goes from the tread to the sidewall. I picked up a screw on my 2014 Ram, and then I went into a, a you know, tire shop, and he said, man, that's not a good place there. He said, we'll, we'll plug it, but you really need to replace this tire. That was eight years ago. I've got 38,000 miles in those tires. I still look at that plug. It's still there. So you might want to take that tire to another place and have somebody else look at it. Well, they the problem is in the repair now, they can see cord. That's what he said. He said that whoever worked on it just got way mm-hmm. overly aggressive on it when they ground it out to put the plug right, in. You they ground you so much you could see the didn't cord. Show you. No, I didn't see it. You kind of made a mistake there, buddy. You yeah. you needed to go into the shop and see it. I should have. But, you know, I, I so trust go in and see it. Take it. 
Yeah. Just well. take it to another shop, a local shop, and say, can we fix this? Yeah. And try to fix it. I sure. There's all but kind it, of plugs out there. Yeah, no doubt. But again, if I can take it somewhere else, my point of the story isn't so much the tire. I mean, this stuff happens. My point of the story was more how companies, even with stellar reputations, are struggling with employees and shortages. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this tire yeah. can be fixed and they couldn't figure that out, now I've got to take it someplace else, well, then they've lost a customer. Well, try it. I mean, save the tires. Keep you keeps you from buying four. Well, and and, and no. I can't even get them. That's the bigger problem. I, I'm okay. <laughs> I was going to put tires on at the end of summer anyway. You know, it, it's they're they're yeah, at no that point. Yeah. No Brandon. <laughs> I know. I know. So that's really my frustration here is okay. Mistakes happen. I, I get it. People make mistakes. But now the mistake gets escalated because I'm running around on a donut spare and I can't buy the tires I need anywhere. I think you can get that one fixed. Well, we'll see. I may. Uh, I, yeah. We'll see. Kevin, where's the cord showing at? Is that I, on the under, you know, the backside, or you know, that this is my fault. I didn't look at it. I have no idea. As soon as, as soon as he said we got too aggressive, somebody there's cords showing, you know, and and then the next sentence was, and right now we can't find the tires. I mean, that's when I kind of just lost my mind, and I should have just gone back to look at. It. But again, I'm thinking, look, it's a tire. This is what they do. Tires, they're really good at this. If if they say it can't be fixed, I, I'm. I, I was trusting them, and I guess I shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, yeah, but, um, I don't know what they do. Put the plug inside up, and uh, yeah. yeah. At this point, I'd even be willing to. Now that I've thought about it and ranted a little bit, I'd even be willing to say if they said, "Look, we could plug it, but we don't think it's going to hold." Well, plug it anyway. I'll try it. What have I got to lose? Nothing, nothing at this point. So I end up with another flat tire mm-hmm. and I put my spare back on. That's about the worst that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll go address that today. All right. We're going to wrap this up. We will see you back here tomorrow for destination health. No, uh, no pit today. Um, I've got some things I'm working on with that. Uh, we'll be back next week with that. So we'll see you tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.